We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, Big Screen Sports listeners, before we get into talking today's episode, uh, Senna with JJ Cooper, I want to invite every listener of this show to join me on the Locker Room app. Uh, each week, I'm going to try to get a, a room going, talking about either this week's episode or just sports movie stuff in general. Would love to start generating more feedback from the listeners and just opening a broader conversation talking about these sports movies. Um, you know, like I've said before, you people have to hear my my good or bad opinions all the time. Would love to have you guys join me on Locker Room. I will follow back any listener of this show who follows me. Uh, just download the Locker Room app. The link to that is going to be in today's show notes. Uh, hope to see you guys on there soon. Enjoy the episode. Blue Wire. 78, I came to Europe compete for the first time it was pure driving it was real racing and that that makes me happy Welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. I want to thank everyone who listened to last week's gauntlet of a Moneyball episode with the guys over at Tipping Pitches. Uh, easily the longest episode in the history of this podcast. Uh, clocked in at a smooth two hours and 15 minutes, but heard a lot of good things. I want to thank everyone who tuned in for that one. It is, uh, you know, Moneyball is is a classic, one of my favorite sports movies. Uh, it was something I was I was very excited to cover on this podcast. So I appreciate everyone hanging in there for for uh, two full hours. Um, another movie that I have always wanted to cover on this podcast, but I have never haven't haven't maybe found the formula, and it's it, it'll be a first because we haven't actually covered a documentary with a guest on this pod. Is is Senna the the Asifkapedia documentary and. Perfect guess for this is the person who told me about this documentary uh, almost two years ago now when we were he was on this podcast, we were talking about a baseball movie, we were talking about Sugar, returning to big screen sports, it is Baseball America's J.J. Cooper. J.J., thanks so much for returning to big screen sports. I am thrilled to be here, Kyle. Thrilled to talk about Senna. I am I'm equally as thrilled. Uh, before we get into it, tell the folks w- what's going on at Baseball America right now. What can, they, what can they see if they're tuning in at the site? 
If they're checking out the site, we're right in the middle of college season, so we're busy with that. We've got spring training stuff. We've got, you know, getting you ready for the minor league season, which unfortunately is going to start a little later in May. And, uh, you know, we're getting ready for the draft also. We have international reviews going up. And and by the way, also, um, you know, we're taking a, I guess, not even a deep breath, but a half of a breath. We sent our final book to the printer. So the Baseball America Prospect Handbook, the Directory, the Almanac, and the Super Register are now all uh, either available or will be shipping shortly. So, you know, it's it never slows down here at Baseball America, but that's a good thing. I'm not going to complain about that. As I say at the beginning of every From Phenom to the Farm podcast, it is always a good time to be subscribed to BaseballAmerica.com. Just dropped a new podcast with Ben Badler and Carlos Colazzo, a feature projection. Yes, yes. And uh, it's a little different. It's They're doing it uh, every week and it's kind of their, it's our long form podcast. Uh, they riff for two hours, uh, you know, a lot, you know, you talk about the money ball being two hours. There's is about, there's is kind of more of a free form talking about player development at all levels, international draft Ben and Ben's gotten involved in the draft more and more. Carlos, obviously their draft writer. Ben's been the international, uh, you know, international scouting guy for, over a decade now. So, uh, so it's a lot of interesting stuff that they cover, you know, and yeah, actually I angles. listened to, uh, I was listening to it today. Actually, they went into a deep kind of a hypothetical on what an international draft might look like. Um, talked about some, uh, possible scenarios to dissuade teams from tanking. It was a really great episode. I am obviously subscribed everyone, you know, any baseball fan should check that out, but something else that clocks in at around two hours. And the reason why we're here today, um, to talk about Senna, the 2010 documentary on Brazilian Formula One racing driver Ayrton Senna, who won the F1 World Championship three times before his death at age 34. It was directed by documentary god Asif Kapadia, who uh, listeners to this podcast will recognize. He also directed the Maradona documentary that came out a couple years ago. JJ, before we dive right into Senna, what are your requirements or like your rubric for a good sports documentary? What does a, a sports documentary need to have it to be a Hall of Famer like like Senna? We're not even going to you know ask that question. It's Senna in. is a Hall yeah, of Fame it's documentary. In. It's in the Hall of Fame. You, you got two choices to me. Okay, One is tell me about something fascinating in sports that I didn't know. And didn't know is a hard standard. Like, again, there's been documentaries out there that have done that, but – but it's really hard in 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 2021 to tell a story where it's like, okay, the documentary is going to be a Hall of Famer simply because I go from knowing nothing about this to being fascinated by it by a well done documentary. But then the you know the the flip side of that is is okay, or give me a documentary about something that I think I know a lot about, and then still blow me away because you've got insights, you've got video, you've got footage, you've got interviews, whatever it is, you've got those stories that I didn't know. And I, you know, I, I think of the, uh, the last dance, you know, being one that kind of fit that, which was, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm not a giant NBA fan, but I was a Bulls fan, like pretty much, oh, I don't know. You know, I was a Michael Jordan fan, like most of the world. And so if you're going to tell me the story of the of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, you're going to have to clear a pretty high bar for me to go that this is more than just the, you know, kind of the regular routine. But they had all that behind the scenes footage that no one had ever seen before. They checked off that box and they had the interviews with Michael Jordan, you know, to check off that box as well. Senna, 
I think Senna works wonderfully. If you don't know anything about Formula One, I think you can still be fascinated by this movie and it'll suck you in. But if you're like me, I was an Ayrton Senna fan. I was a Senna fan when it was Senna versus Prost in the late 80s. It still, it clears every bar. And you know, to be honest, I, one other thing when you say what it makes a great sports documentary, the other thing that we're seeing is I do believe that a great sports documentary can make you a fan of a sport. Um, I'm a bigger fan of soccer, of, of football, because of really well done, you know, documentaries and behind the scenes things I've seen about Premier League and other. But I just look at my own family. I was the only Formula One fan. I watched Formula One races by myself and then Drive to Survive came out on Netflix, which is really well done. Which is incredible. And Drive to Survive has turned my entire family into F1 fans. And so, you know, I, I'm now we're, we're, we had a discussion today about Aston Martin's new car came out. And what do we think about Aston Martin's car? Like that Drive to Survive, I, I really do believe, has made more Formula One fans in the U.S. than pretty much almost anything in, in Formula One has over the last 15, 20 years. And I say that because anecdotally, most people now I know in the U.S. who followed Formula One, they seem to say like, well, how did you get into Formula One? It's like, well, I watched Drive to Survive and it kind of sucked me in. And, you know, again, I know that's anecdotal, but that's something a great sports documentary can do as well. That's exactly where I am with this in that um, I hadn't heard of this until you told me about it two years ago. Um, I wasn't very familiar with with Formula One um, aside. I have one friend who is a diehard and would tell me all the time, hey, you need to watch Formula One. You need to watch Formula One. You love Formula One. And then Drive to Survive comes out, and then you tell me about Senna. I watch Senna. And now I am still not a Formula One diehard,er but when it is on on the weekend in the morning, it is a great thing to wake up to in the morning. Um, it, it is very fun. It's, it's, and, and this, I've said it before on this pod for, you know, the past, we are kind of in the, basically ever since 30 for 30 came out, we've been in kind of this golden age of sports documentary, at least in the sense that we are getting so many of them constantly. And especially that early run of 30 for 30 was really, really strong. Mm -hmm. And for me, fortunately, during this run, basically 30 for 30 came out when I was 20 and it's been, you know, pretty much a 10-year run of 30 for 30. And I've been in a really fortunate place where most of these documentaries were things that at best I was fairly familiar with. Like Bo Jackson. I was very familiar with, you know, the legend of Bo Jackson. Um, but not completely well-versed and I didn't experience it. And so uh, all these great documentaries for me have been real learning experience. I mean, the only one of the few 30 for 30 documentaries or sports documentaries that come out in the last decade that I remember specifically was, was the McGuire Sosa long gone summer. And it was, weirdly enough, it was the one I was kind of the most disappointed in, but with Senna, I had just no knowledge. Like I think one of my other favorite documentaries is the pony excess, which I knew about the SMU death penalty. I knew it happened. I didn't know anything else about it, but I knew it happened. And I, I love that. But with this one, it was a complete no prior knowledge. I didn't know who Ayrton Senna was. I didn't know who Prost was. I didn't, when I saw it, I didn't really get how Formula One worked. And watching it for the first time was still incredible. Watching it again now with a little more of a lens about how Formula One works, it gets even better. But I think that's the mark of a great documentary. And the same thing that Capadia did with Maradona is you, you don't have to be a fan 
to enjoy it, to be enraptured by it. I still haven't seen the Amy Winehouse one. I'm actually, I know more about Amy Winehouse than I did Senna or Maradona before seeing these documentaries. And I'm sure because of the style, I think I would love it. I mean, Senna is just an incredible film. And JJ, you told me before we started recording that you were eagerly anticipating this. So what was that buildup like? And then what was your reaction upon your first watch? So Top Gear, which great TV show, you know, back, uh, back, years ago had a piece on Senna, which uh, I, I love Top Gear and they did a piece on Senna. I love Ayrton Senna. You couldn't, you know, check off, you couldn't scratch more itches than that for me. But they said, there's a wonderful documentary coming out on Ayrton Senna. You should check it out. Well, that documentary understandably didn't exactly go into wide release in the U.S., you know, <laughs> I mean, I think they aired it like I think there was in a theater in New York and maybe one in L.A. to like qualify for like awards. But it did not. I If it came to my area, I sure missed it, you know. And I, when I look at the number of screens that Senna was in, I don't think I missed it. But as soon as it showed up on Netflix, it was like it was something that I watched and then I was like, okay, that was even better than I expected, which was really hard to do. And I watched it again, and I watched it again. And then this is at the time when my family was not F1 fans. And this is not just F1. This is F1 from back when when dad was young. So, like, it's like, you know, ancient history. And they drove. I drove them crazy trying to get them to watch it. And, you know, I, I've just – I've – I have followed wherever Senna goes. I have checked it out from, you know, like you have where you could check it out from the library to watch a movie on Hoopla. I've checked it out from Hoopla to watch it. I've, I, I, I don't know why I don't own this movie, but I've just kind of followed it. It's on Prime now. I've watched it on Prime. I'm, I have it on in the background while we're recording this again because it just makes me happy to watch it. Get in the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I had never, and I, I think I saw, I saw Maradona before I saw Senna. I actually saw them in a very close time period. I had never seen a documentary style like it's like a sports, it's like an action movie. How it's the, that free flowing style of documentary. I don't think I had ever seen a sports documentary or just a documentary in general that didn't have the, you know, set piece the kind of action shot, then talking headshot of someone in a room that they, you know, they had filmed that free flowing style of just all the footage and, and it's just voiceover is it makes it so much easier of a watch, I think, than a normal documentary. It's the killer app of Senna to me. And there's well, two parts of it. Okay, you and I have watched a lot of sports documentaries. I can pretty much tell you I've never created my own sports documentary, but I could shot sheet it right now. The, the pivotal moment, not the part of the player's career that everyone knows, but the lead up to that, some great piece of footage about that voiceover about that, that just kind of sets the scene. Like, here's why you're here watching this documentary. Then, like you said, then it goes to a voiceover, ideally of the athlete sitting in a room, you know, a one shot of just that athlete talking, right? And usually then we rewind to childhood or we rewind to the early part of their career, very early part of their career. And that's how we kind of then wander through and we go through the 
through the documentary. The thing about Senna is, and I appreciate this. Again, I am an Ayrton Senna fan, but you don't need, there's no part of Ayrton Senna pre-race car driver that you need to talk about. And they're like, they know that. This movie starts with Ayrton Senna in a race car. And you are less than 15 minutes in this movie and not only is he in Formula One, but he's on McLaren with Alain Prost, which is the rivalry that is the the key part of of Senna and Prost's careers. It flies to get to that part. And it's not like it gets there and says, okay, now we're going to move back. No, no, no. Once you're there, we're going to go through Ayrton Senna's career at a breakneck pace until, unfortunately, you know what's coming. And the final 30 minutes of this movie pretty much are what you know is coming, which is, again, if you're a Senna fan like I am, you know he's going to die, which is going to be awful. But it, it, I completely agree with you. The fact that they just use footage and voiceovers, but there's never a sitting talking head talking about Senna's career in the entirety of this movie. And there's really not anyone trying to put Senna's career in perspective. They have so much great footage, so many great interviews, contemporary at the time, they don't ever need to do that. You're able to form your own opinion of Senna and and get the feel for who he was and his impact without being told what his impact. You get told what made him a good driver. You get told things about his personality, but you see so much that you're able to... It's probably the closest thing to from actually experiencing him as he lived when he lived. Um, and I can tell you from from what you were saying about being dropped into basically getting right to the you know this pivotal moment in his career, JJ, you would you would love the Maradona documentary. Uh, again, um, I'm going to watch it now. This will be my you're, you're paying me back. You are paying me back. Yes, I gave you Senna. I will watch Maradona. I do promise. It's it's phenomenal. Um, so a little bit from IMDb. I just pulled a couple things just for how this thing got made. And um, it, it started the producer, uh, James Gay Reese, and writer Manish Pandy, Pandy, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, I'm probably not, had a meeting with the family of Ayrton Senna in March of 2006. They made a 40-minute presentation about what they would do in the documentary, which convinced them to authorize and support the project. The presentation was called The Life and Death of Ayrton Senna. Uh, this is the first film about Senna that had the approval and support of his family and also the organization of Formula One management which gave unprecedented images of Senna. And this is the one I like the most. Upon being hired, director Asif Kapadia knew little about the life of Ayrton Senna in Formula One. This was the intention of the producer, so he had a fair look at the film material. And it is very much a... It's. I want to say that comes through, and I might be saying that only in hindsight, of... But he doesn't... He doesn't make you yearn for like he he doesn't assume knowledge and i think that's a lot of what um i I think that probably comes from his experience uh he didn't have much experience in formula one or knowledge of senate and formula one so i don't think i don't think he expects the viewer to know a ton about Ayrton senna because like and from my perspective it doesn't matter if you don't know anything about it it all comes through it is all very easy to digest it's all very easy to digest and because of that, like he also, the other key part of this is he 
he leaves great pieces cast aside. Like, if you were asking me, tell you the story of Senna, there are many parts that he don't make the movie that I would include. But I think it's better movie because of that. Because if you spent 10 minutes on this thing that I think you should spend 10 minutes on and 10 minutes on this, it wouldn't flow nearly as well as it does. He's leaving a lot, not out, but to the side because the movie is a documentary with no, you know, sitting down, sit down, talking heads that has narrative structure too. And that's the part that's also, I think, pretty remarkable. It's, I mean, just an incredible piece of work. I want to get into the best moment of the doc. On a typical episode, you know, we do best scene. In documentaries, that's kind of hard because it's not like, you know, scenes is in a typical movie. But this one is kind of cut in a way where you can pick certain scenes. I mean, a lot of them are certain races, certain, you know, aspects of Senna's life. Um, the first thing, right, it's kind of like you just said. They 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 basically, they give you a, a brief intro of how he got to you know, how he got to where he was, how he got to Formula One. And they show that the the first race in Monaco in 1984, the one where Senna comes from 13th to 2nd, he almost overtakes Prost in the rain before the race is stopped. It is, it, it, it tells you a lot. One, it tells you that you're about to see a bunch of awesome racing footage for the next two hours uh, because I, I, they just have so much. It is just, it, I mean, it's incredible. Like, I wish I had a home theater just to, so I could crank the volume up. For the sound races. in this is amazing. The sound is outstanding. And the fact that this footage holds up, this is footage, as you said, that's from 84. It should look terrible, shouldn't it? Like, we're, we're well before the days of high death, but clearly there was enough shot on film and there was enough that they improved the quality of in post-production. It looks really good. It does. I mean, it's... And and that race is so cool, um, and and it gives you it gives you an early insight into his displeasure of the politics of Formula One, which becomes a running theme of the doc. And it kind of, especially as a because I'm looking at it from the perspective of someone who didn't know any of this, like it, it kind of keys you in on okay, this is going to be a running theme. Um, you know, he's not he he doesn't like playing this game. It also for me it was it it was a quick cameo from the the inspiration for the movie Rush. I assume you've seen Rush, JJ. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. So you you get James Hunt voiceover and you get a, a word about him passing Nikki Lauda. So for me that was like the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the TV meme. It was like I know those guys. I've seen Rush. I love Rush. Um but yeah, that it, I I thought it was a great it, it's really the opening it's really the first action scene because the only other racing had been when he's racing those go-karts that I cannot imagine racing. It seems like the most dangerous thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, he goes karting. He's with the, and by the way, the, the key thing there is, is he finishes second in a Tolman, which is a car. And again, rent rain does equalize a whole lot of things, but that's a car that should never be on the podium ever. And Ayrton Senna, basically, as they say, they they use the great contemporary you know moment, which is is they have from that race from the broadcast they have you know clearly Ayrton Senna is going to be one of the greats of Formula One, and today is the day that he's basically shown that that's coming. And the next time they show him in Monaco, it's kind of the next moment I have is the first time you get the cockpit view, which you get a lot of in this documentary, and. I, I told my wife last night, I was like, I could just watch two hours of the cockpit view. 
That's all I want to see. And the thing about that is, is that it is amazing what they do in Formula One now. It is. But I, what they were doing in the 80s, and you get this, you absolutely get this sense with watching those cockpit views, is the cars actually had more power back then than they have now, but with way less handling. And, oh yeah, by the way, also way less safety. So Yeah, the absence of the halos that they have now is very noticeable when you watch this documentary. You know, Lewis Hamilton, on the great top gear piece they did about Senna, Ham- Lewis Hamilton, who's the greatest Formula One driver of now, one of the greatest Formula One drivers of all time, you could make the argument, the greatest Formula One driver of all time. But in it, they let Hamilton drive Senna's McLaren from, you know, his MP44 from this time. And which it's, for one, this is a guy who already at this point had been a Formula One world champion. He's a little kid. This is, if you said, rank the moments of his life, you know, this is going to be in the top five. He got to drive his hero's car and also get to feel like really drive it like on a racetrack. And when he pulls back in, he says, this is just mental. The power of this combined with the lack of grip doing this for an entire race. This is amazing. And I think Monaco is one of the places because it's such a tight circuit, you see everything blurring by you. It's like, how did these people do this? Like lap after lap after lap. It's, it's crazy. I mean, the cockpit view, it's so loud. Again, this is like, this would be a great theater experience movie. Um, but it, it's, it's just really, it's stunning. Um, in formula one, any, you watch it now, arguably the, the coverage of formula one and the actual event is the best of any sport. I would say like, it is the most fun to what with the angles and the, the lack of commercials and the, the coverage and the commentary, like formula one is covered almost impeccably compared to other major sports. And, and this and, and fortunately, they had all this footage from Formula One in the 80s to, to give us because it, it just it, it really no pun intended. It makes the stock go. Um, the next great moment of the stock I had is the mini montage about the national pride that Senna inspired in Brazil and the pressures that come with that pride. And it's that's also it's the it's essentially the biggest story of the Maradona documentary as well. And the life of Diego Maradona, kind of what comes with with being a god among men or being treated like that. Um, and with Senna, he hits at this point, he's won the, he's, he's won his first world championship. He hits the highest point in his profession. Um, you know, we've seen the initial grind that comes with this rise, being a phenom, being an up and comer, but getting to the peak is, is a different level of expectation. It's kind of what makes LeBron James such an incredible human is LeBron James has, lived up to literally every expectation we put on him when he was 16 years old and he's handled it with grace and Senna. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. Cause you, you live this, you experienced as it was going. It seems like he was able to handle this with, with, with a lot of perspective. And it didn't look like as though he was struggling with the attention as much, but he was putting it in its appropriate place. He was enjoying it, but he was still so, so keyed in and so still so hungry with his, with, um, you know, with his career. Right. It it didn't, the motivation didn't lag because he'd won one. Um, but the other thing is, is, is that, you know, and they do, I think a pretty good job of this is the fact that, that 
how important he was to Brazil. Like, not just, yes, he's the biggest sports star from Brazil at the time. You know, that's that's significant. But the way he was doing kind of very quietly all this charitable work in Brazil and funding, you know, schools for, you know, impoverished children and all, he had all these... Which act- continued after his death. Yes. He had all those aspects too. I, I've heard people say, and I... With, with and they're not being like that <laughs> they're they're they mean it that Ayrton Senna was likely to become president of Brazil if he had not died like that was part of his future path was he was you know if he wanted to do that his basically universal popularity his charismatic nature all of that was kind of pointing in that direction and, you know, as kind of a post-Formula One career, if he wanted to do that. And you see that throughout this. And, you know, they also make it clear. You have this charismatic, good-looking Formula One driver in the 80s. Um, you know, the, the scene with Zuza is, uh, you know, like yes. they, they do it well. You know, she's the host of a kid's show. He, he comes on. She interviews him. And by the way, one of the moments to me that I just can't help but, you know, choke on is... She gives him a kiss for good luck in 89 and in 90 and in 91. And then she gives him another kiss for 92 and another kiss for 93. And they don't say anything about this, but that's where it ends. She gives him a kiss all the way through 93. And we know what happens in 94. It's like, oh, you know, like it's subtext. It's not overt text. But the next scene you see after that is at the racetrack and there's Ayrton Senna and he's walking hand in hand. Oh, who's he walking hand in hand with? It's Zusa, you know, who was a, uh, you know, a, a star in, in Brazil at the time. Like that was, again, it's just these little subtle parts. They don't need to hit you over the head with it. They just kind of leave it there. Yeah. And they definitely don't lead you to believe that Senna didn't have any fun with his, you know, with his <laughs> no. stature. Um, but I, I mean, I, I was trying, I, I literally, I couldn't think of a comparable athlete in the United States, LeBron was the cl- the closest thing I could I could think of in terms of stature, in terms of what he's done outside of his sport, in terms of expectation and how he's treated. But with, I mean, we saw you, you see at the end with the funeral and everything. Like he is he is something else when it comes to Brazil. He is more than just their most revered athlete. He is really their most revered person. Yes, I, I think that's completely and utterly fair. Mm-hmm. The next moment I have, and it gets into, we get into the Senna Prost part of the documentary, is the Prost-Senna crash in the Japanese Grand Prix. I need your- That's my moment. Your That's setup, my moment. I need your setup as a fan with what was, you know, was the Senna Prost rivalry, was this as big? The, the film sets this up as a huge hint of Prost just wanting to make sure that Senna didn't win. Because they, they they do they drop that right in the front, you know. If Senna doesn't finish first, Prost is the world champion, you know. And Prost knew that. They they do set it. What as you, as the fan, as the person who watched this, what was the the Senna Prost experience? Okay, so this is a time when McLaren is so far beyond, which unfortunately happens at times in Formula One. It's happened right now with Mercedes. Mercedes is the best team in Formula One now, and it's not close. Well, this time, this is a stretch where McLaren is not just the best team in Formula One. 
but they do not have competition. It's very, it was great for Formula One at the time that they had the two best drivers in McLarens allowed to compete because otherwise it'd have been utterly boring because McLarens won every race. I mean, literally, and I believe it was 88, it was 88 or 89, but one of those years they won every race of the season and the only race, except for one, and the one race they didn't was because Senna hit a back marker, a car that he was lapping in the, like the last 10 laps of the race. If it hadn't been for that, they'd have won every race of the season. But, but you had these two guys who were that good in equal cars and pretty much who were going head to head every race. And here you had it, you know, Senna had won it the year before by needing to, you know, winning in Japan to win it. And here you have it the next year and it comes down to, well, it comes down to Japan. There's going to be one more race after that too, but for Senna to keep it going, he needs to win in Japan and you have the wreck that happens there. And that you, you talked about the foreshadowing. That's the part where you get this great footage also of the politics that were part of formula one at the time too. And that's what makes it so infuriating, but also so great. Yeah. It's, it's a very good plot device for the documentary as well. It it works. It works for him to have this foil. It works for them to tie in someone else um, to this, to this rivalry. That's one of the things where I think, I, I like it better than the Maradona documentary and then they get this sort of actual rivalry within the sport and, and see this competition within Senna because Diego Maradona's biggest rival was himself. And um, so that that's like harder to see, frankly. And and not as and not as interesting to me either. No. I, I just you know, again, that's it's easy to there are two villains in this movie. Elaine Prost is one of them, and I will talk about this later. I think that's unfair to Elaine Prost. And the other is Jean-Marie Balestre, who was the head of basically who ran Formula One at the time. And he's a villain on here, and he lives up to every – it is a completely fair, in my opinion, portrayal of someone who was awful. And having him – it's great that it's a documentary – because anyone being this villainous, where you didn't have the actual footage, if you wrote a movie about this and tried to make this a dramatic, you know, like this was to play up the drama, it would be so far over the top that you would just say, no, 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 that's, you, know, you lost me. I mean, again, you when you watch this, when you see him in those driver's meetings, does it not blow you away just how arrogant he is? Yeah, it's funny that actually you do my job for me. That keys me into my next moment is when he is when Ayrton is protesting the tires stacked up at the race and the drivers are agreeing with him. It's a I enjoy seeing him leading and, and being agreed with, but the the response and the arrogance from the the man whose name I am not even gonna try to pronounce Jean Marie Balestri. Is he his his greatest driver, his his best asset in in terms of if you want to put it in those terms, and all of his all of his all of his racers are telling you that they're about to go risk their lives on this racetrack, and they are all telling him this is unsafe. This is not. We don't feel comfortable. We would. There's a there's a much easier solution, but it is. 
he is taking their words and making sure that it is he he is making the moment about himself and basically saying like you will not be the ones to decide i will be the one to decide this i will make the decision this is me and it, he he sucks i have a feeling for that no i have a feeling no, because you don't know my my decision is the best every time decision my decision my decision is democratic vote on let the driver by end at one point though you know <laughs> <laughs> who are in favor we replace the tie by the the code your hand the best decision is my decision always like you couldn't if you wrote that if a scriptwriter wrote that it's like okay you know the the part where you twirl your mustache you just need to back it off a bit but that was him in real life like they don't even make a big deal of this but the Japan wreck that was caused by Prost and again that's fine wrecks happen in racing but Senna was disqualified for a stupid rule from that race which gave Prost the title but the problem with all of this is, so then McLaren appealed, and what happened off of that? Not just that Senna's appeal was denied, which was expected, he was also then, his license was suspended, and he was basically, they said, if he will not apologize to Jean-Marie Balestre, we will not let him drive next year. He was penalized Further, for having the temerity to not just bow to Jean Molly Balestri, it was amazing. It a lot of commissioners in in sports really get a they take a ton of criticism. I think Roger Goodell the most. Rob Manford certainly has taken quite a bit lately. But this guy is like legitimate villain in this movie, and in general, apparently. And, and by the way, but again, it makes the movie. Oh yeah, again, no, it's we'll, very. We'll necessary. talk about pros later. Like it was a, it's a movie, so it's a one-sided portrayal of Elaine Prost. There is no other side in this movie that would give you like no, no, no. But let me give you the perspective of Balestri that really kind of humanizes and rounds them off. I can't find that. I've I I do a lot of reading about this era. I've never found it. <laughs> the last moment I have, and I say moment with extreme air quotes because it is very very much a long extended part of this movie, and it, it's Senna's Senna's death and everything that comes with that. It is one of the most haunting things I have ever seen on film. And you and I are in again kind of like most of this documentary, completely different parts of this. I knew enough. I knew he would die at the end of this. And they make it very clear. It starts, the the movie hits a tone that you, you start, you know, problems with the car. They, you know, they say it's the last time um, him and Prost will ever be on the podium together. And you, you know, in your head, oh, that's not because of performance. So even as a, as a first time viewer, you know, this is coming. But for me, I didn't know how, but it is just, it gets increasingly more haunting. There's the the death in in the the practice run or in the you know in in the testing, um, you see him it, the constant frustration with the car, and then how they handle it with the onboard camera, no commentary, just you you see his last lap and it just the silent cut, and it is it is very affecting. 
with you as someone who you knew exactly how this was coming, I'm sure you had seen footage of this before. You might have been watching the I, race. I, yeah, I watched the race. What as as the movie gets into that to that part, and it, it just get it gets into that weekend because it it basically sets up that whole weekend because there's multiple there's multiple wrecks that weekend. There, there's there's a wreck on Friday. You know, they do Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And there's a wreck on Friday, Rubens Barrichello, another Brazilian who was friends with Senna. And it's incredibly frightening. But Barrichello's okay. Literally, the, the car flies. It the flies wreck and then hits the wall and stops. Yes. And by the way, do remember also, before this, we've had a wreck earlier where I know no other way to say it. But when you first see it, you think... This is wrong of the documentarian to show us this wreck. That happens, you know, about halfway through the movie where you see literally what looks like just the dead body of a driver laying on the track. And the only reason it's not exploitative, which again, this was the reality of Formula One at the time, unfortunately, is because the driver actually survived. Like he's hurt, but he does live. He's not dead. But you see that, and it just is that reminder halfway through the movie, effectively. You know, what these guys are doing could kill them at any moment. I mean, in that case, you know, midway through, it's literally a wreck where the car falls apart and the driver's still strapped to his seat, but the only thing that's left him on the track is the seat, you know. And so you have that frightening wreck on Friday, and Senna's clearly shaken by that. Then you have Ratzenberger's death on Saturday, and you have foreshadowing City after that because you have the interviews of you know of Senna talking about quitting driving, and you know what's coming, but it doesn't change how haunting and affecting it is. It is. I mean, it, I thought it was very well done because um, I, I, it, it's not something you can gloss over. With this subject matter, it's not something you know, and and they didn't. I he didn't get too campy with it. I I thought the use of the onboard camera and just showing that silent last lap was about as affecting as you could get. Um, it kind of goes into the shots of Brazil. I think the closest thing we've had to this in my lifetime is it's maybe Kobe, but it wasn't. I mean, Senna got a jet flyover. I mean, it's like the whole nation came out for that funeral. I, 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 I mean, to me, it's the, the one, this is before my time and it's before, well before your time, but it's JFK. I mean, that's the, to me, if you ask me what the Brazilian, you know, like that's what it is. It's like this moment that the entire country just stopped because, you know, as you said, the biggest person, I mean, Ayrton Senna was I would say comfortably was more important in Brazil than any leader of the country at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, and then the, the funeral, how they handle the funeral in the documentary is incredible showing the, the flashes of people mourning, then flashing back to times with Senna in life. It is, I mean, the last 30 minutes of this movie are as emotional as, as any, any fictional movie, any sports movie, any movie I think I've ever seen. And, they do a great, you know, again, you have the story of this movie, I really do think at the end of the day, is Ayrton Senna and Elaine Prost. And you see that who's one of his pallbearers? Elaine Prost, you know. So, I mean, it has even that moment that kind of puts a bow, you know, 
into the, and again, it's not a story, it's real life, but it wraps that part up of, of it even. And there's a bunch of good uh, YouTube stuff you can find of Elaine Prost talking about Senna after his passing, and and talk and it's it's very good. It's very if you're a fan of this movie, it's very much worth a watch. Uh, JJ, let's take a quick ad break and then get back with what worked. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, okay, so we are back. Uh, JJ, I mean, this one is a Hall of Fame first ballot documentary. We've talked about a lot about what worked. What, what is something we haven't discussed yet? What worked? What stands out for you of why this is such an effective documentary? I, I, I touched on it a little bit, but the pacing to me, the, there's so much that they could have included, but you really... The seasons, I mean, these are 16 race seasons, if I remember correctly. You know how many races were going on a season. You turn around and they're in Japan again. Because <laughs> it always seemed to come to the end of the season to Japan. And you're in Japan and Senna wins it. You're in Japan and Prost hits Senna and Senna gets disqualified and Prost wins it. You're in Japan and Senna's complaining about you know where pole position sets up and he's hitting Prost and he's winning it. It's like boom, boom, boom. It just, it flies. You never don't feel like you know what's going on, though. You still feel like you're you're very up to date and, and, and in the moment. It doesn't feel like you're, you're never left wondering, like, oh, that, that seemed quick. That was a quick jump. Well, it, and even use of, like, contemporary news accounts at the time. I mean, like, you know, which, again, tells you how important this is. It's like, it's like from, like, BBC News. Here's BBC News talking about this and all. Which having that, you know, really makes it work. Because you have someone who is, at the time, trying to set the stage for tomorrow's race and explaining it. And it perfectly catches you up. You don't need anything further than that. They just explained that if Senna wins this race or if Prost doesn't finish, then Senna's the champion. Okay, we're ready for the race now, you know? And... But the also, and again, we'll, we'll get into this also on what not doesn't work, but what is maybe a little bit, I would almost argue, inaccurate about it. But there are parts of it where they also make it clear this is not a hagiography of Ayrton Senna. That, that interview from the time that they let go pretty well with Jackie Stewart, which, you know, I, I've had 
I, again, I love racing. I've had multiple people, I've read it said that when Ayrton Senna said, if you don't go for a gap, then you're no longer a race car driver, like is the thing that has caused more wrecks since then than anything else, you know, ever <laughs> said, you know, because everyone always says that when they go for a gap that's going to cause a wreck. But like Jackie Stewart really kind of held his feet to the fire about his aggressiveness and all that. And at least it kind of did put out there, like <laughs> Ayrton Senna was an incredibly con- he was two people almost on this one hand he was this incredibly compassionate you know man of you know of of a profound faith too like which they have throughout this like and then at the same time he was also absolutely this at times you know incredibly aggressive driver, but really goes beyond who would cross the line at times, you know, and, and they showed at least a little, a little bit of that as well. And the complexity of him is something that also makes the movie more compelling because it's not just this, oh, Ayrton Senna was great. No, Ayrton Senna also, you know, he would wreck a dude if he had to to win a race. He was quite happy to do so. The there's a voiceover of someone talking about it in the movie, which is very it's very effective for someone with no pre existing Senna knowledge of explaining why he's good. They talk about you know he's fast. He breaks the car later than normal. He pushes it to its limit. He's very aggressive, like you said. Like you said, they they explain why he is so special. And why this is happening. That it's, it's not just about the car. They explain what makes him a different type of racer. And I, I think that is that is very effective. And it's good to hear from his peers when they talk about that. But they there's a lot of things sprinkled in where they're not beating you over the head with it. But there's just enough where it's like, hey, this guy was different. This guy was not just a, a great racer who won you know some some world championships. Um, and it, I think the character, cause they talk about, they talk about Prost too, and they talk about what made him good. And the, that nickname I think was the professor or something yes. like that. They talk about how yes, calculated it is the professor and someone who is smart and calculating is it's exciting in a different regard. And it, I, I will say being smart and calculating and still being a formula one driver is a lot different than being like smart and calculating and being a golfer, but it, it makes why Senna was good is a little bit more of a, an exciting thing and someone you something you'd want to watch a documentary about, uh, you know, than versus, you know, why what made Prost good. It's kind of like, you know, don't get me wrong, I love Greg Maddox, but like you think about like the electricity of Pedro Martinez, like 99 Pedro. Absolutely. Versus Greg Maddox. It's, Again, I was a Senna fan. Let me make clear. I mean, it's funny. Like, again, this world we live in in 2021, one of my daughters got me an Ayrton Senna mask, which I wear when I go out of the house, you know, as a Christmas gift. And it's like, wow, I would have never imagined before 2020 that this would be, you know, a good Christmas gift. But I was a (laughs) Senna fan. Like, I don't, I know that there are pros fans. It's hard to imagine why someone would be a Prost fan as opposed to a Senna fan. You have these two drivers who are almost polar opposites. Alain Prost, the not the thing about him was if a, 
Elaine Prost would rather finish second in a race if that would then take a risk to finish first because he knew over the course of the season that was going to make him, you know, if I break the car, I won't get any points and then I'm not going to win the Formula One title. Ayrton Senna, Ayrton Senna, like I've been rewatching during the pandemic the season reviews of all the seasons of Ayrton Senna's career because I'm a nut about all this. And even when he was before he was with McLaren, it was remarkable how often he had a car on the, you know, either on pole or, you know, on the top, on the front row because Ayrton Senna could drive a car faster than anyone else could. And Ayrton Senna always wanted to drive a car faster than anyone else would. And in the movie, they have the great, there's a great moment where Elaine Prost basically says like Senna in Monaco in 88, he was so much faster than Elaine Prost around Monaco that it defied explanation. And Prost made the point. He's like, he doesn't just want to beat me. He wants to utterly embarrass me to show that he is the best driver. And what happens? Senna is winning the race by almost a lap. And then he crashes with a couple, you know, couple race laps to go. And Prost wins the race. And it's like, that's the difference between the two of them. But I, I'll i say it every time, you know, and again, Senna won three world titles. It's not like he's this guy who failed to do it. Which is more interesting? Which is the guy that you want to root for? The guy who may give you something you've never seen every race? Or the guy who's like, you know what? He calculated it well and... He drove a very smart race. And yes, you know, he wasn't leading for most of the race, but when the other cars broke down, he was the one who was there at the finish. Give me Ayrton Senna every time. He throws, uh, he throws the version of Edwin Jackson's no-hitter. There's eight walks, yes. there's a lot of base runners, there's a ton of pitches, a lot of excitement, but damn it, he got it done. Um, but one thing you mentioned with the speed and getting cars on pole, they mentioned right before his death that he he still manages to get the Williams car on pole I wanted to ask, watching from your point of view, watching his experience with the Williams car and the fact that they had had to get rid of that technology that it made them unbeatable. What was the what was the atmosphere around that at the time? Like, because you're watching this and you see all the problems he has with the car, and it's they show it spinning out. You just want to after the multiple wrecks and the death of Rubens, you just want to scream at him to not get in that car anymore. Well, okay, so back it up a year, and they touch on this, but again, because the movie moves so fast. So two years before that, the Williams was clearly the best car, but I would say it was probably the best season of Senna's career. Senna still wins the, 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 the world championships, wins the driver's title for McLaren, even though everyone knows, okay, McLaren's days are, this technology of the McLaren car is behind now the Williams car. The next year, you know, uh, Nigel Mansell wins in in the in the Williams, and you know, and basically Senna is, but the 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 thing that happens is Prost gets the Williams drive, and the only thing the only key thing he has in his contract is Williams cannot sign Senna to drive with him. Like, he blocks Senna from coming to the best car. And, you know, so basically, Senna is forced to drive an inferior McLaren all year. 
and Prost wins the wins the title. And then Prost retires rather than next year because Senna's coming to Williams. And you think, okay, so this is going to be now Senna in the best car. This is titles four, five, and six. They're coming. And then F1 changes the rules, which again, there's a lot of logic to it. They change the active suspension rules, the logic being that the traction control and active suspension and all that had really taken away the challenge of the driving. And it was now just becoming a technological showcase. But it made that car. That car was the car that was designed for this active suspension. And it made it almost undrivable. And the sad thing about it is, is that by the end of the year, they got it figured out. There was a stalling issue as far as the airflow. And once they figured out, the car became much more drivable. And even with Damon Hill, who's no offense to Damon Hill, but not the driver that Ayrton Senna was, it became a championship winning car after that. So the utter frustration of it is, is I mean, obviously, most importantly, Ayrton Senna died, but it wasn't that many it wasn't that many months later that it became a drivable car. It sounds almost cruel to say or almost insensitive to say, but it is such a like the best driver in the world had to die for this car as as a result well, of this car. No, the the best driver, unfortunately, in the world had to die for Formula One to go through really Formula One. I mean, you rewind it. It, we probably do need to go into this, unfortunately, at least a little bit. But 20 years before this, 20 years before Senna, Formula One was utter insanity as far as, like, I, I cannot explain to someone who hasn't followed Formula One the utter insensitivity, the utter recklessness with which the entity of Formula One and the track owners and all dealt with drivers like like Jim Clark who's with Senna as one of the greatest drivers of all time died in a race a kind of worthless Formula 2 race in the 60s why did he die because his car went off the road in a forest and he hit a tree now I don't mean his car leaped over the guardrails and hit a tree I mean, they were having races through a forest with no guardrails off the road. <laughs> so, you know, a guy died in a magnesium car because when the car crashed and it caught fire, it was magnesium and no one there had any fire extinguishers that were effective to put out a fire as hot as a magnesium fire. So he basically melted into a molten slag of magnesium. Like, there were races where Jackie Stewart, the other one, other one of the great drivers of his era, had a race at Spa where he crashed off the track, and it took him. You know, they didn't have ways to get him out of the car. Then they didn't really have a way to get him to the hospital. Then they didn't really have any medical, you know, supplies at the hospital to deal with a traumatic crash. This was just normal at the time, and finally. In the mid-70s, they started to improve it, but it still, still was expected that uh, drivers die. That's what they do. And it took Ayrton Senna dying. There had been a crash at Imola a couple of years before that almost killed a driver on the very same turn 
were cenodide, which is a turn that was a max speed turn, you know, full speed, where if something goes wrong on your car, you're just going to hit the wall. You have nothing you can do about it. And it took Senna dying for them to redo the track to say, you know what? The cars are doing this at 150, 170 miles an hour. We probably need to put a chicane in there because that's not safe. But they didn't do that until Senna died. It basically was when the greatest driver in the world dies, okay, well, maybe we have to do something. It's unfortunate. That's almost commentary on society in general. It's like until something really bad happens, we don't, you know, we don't fix it. I think this might be incorrect, but I feel I'm when Dale Earnhardt after Dale Earnhardt died at Daytona, they made that neck that that protection Mm -hmm. device. Yeah, yeah, they made it mandatory. It had been optional. And which, by the way, Earnhardt was the third driver to die of that in the past year. You know, the previous year, they'd already had. I mean, Richard Petty's grandson had died because of that, and it wasn't enough to, you know, to do anything about it. Yeah, and for any fans of NASCAR who were still listening to this and haven't haven't heard and haven't seen Senna, I guess I guess equating Senna and Dale Earnhardt in some manner is because, um, like, I'm I have watched all of maybe 1.5 NASCAR races in my life, but I absolutely know who Dale Earnhardt is. I think. Almost any sports fan does. I, I was working uh, at a uh, at a newspaper the night I was doing desk the night that, and we had a dry we had a writer, you know, sports writer for us. One of our writers was at Daytona, and I'll never forget that night either. You know, and I was not a giant NASCAR fan, but Dale Earnhardt. That was, I mean, that was there with NASCAR. There's before Dale Earnhardt died and after Dale Earnhardt died because there's not. I mean, that's the, that is the moment of NASCAR. Well, kind of on that note, what was your experience as a Formula One fan when Senna died? What was watching Formula One like in the early 90s? Because now it's, it's covered, it's easy to watch in, in the U.S. Was it well, the same ESPN. way? ESPN had Formula One back then, which was nice. Um, but I stopped being a Formula One fan for a long time. I, I did not watch. My driver had died. I mean, I kind of lost interest for quite a while. I, I came back in the uh, 2000s. But I mean, it was that kind of moment for me, you know, like I was an Ayrton Senna fan and I, you know, to be honest, part of it also was, I mean, I was just kind of thrown by the fact that, you know, (laughs) this, this could happen. I mean, again, you knew it could happen, but Formula One had gotten seemingly had gotten safer before that. You know, there hadn't been a death in, in many years or several years, at least I should say. Um, but it kind of derailed my Formula One fandom for quite a while. I have kind of a gap. I mean, there's a lot of those Schumacher years in the late 90s that I don't have contemporary memories of. And I should say, like, I didn't watch every race. I don't want to make it sound like I was, you know, like I was I was reading Road and Track and they would have summaries of the races and all in the U.S. So, you know, but I was a Senna fan, like, because... He was the coolest. He was the best. He was the fastest. And he was fascinating. And it just kind of derailed it for me for, for quite a while. Well, at the end of the doc, they put in that note of the the impact that his death had. And that at time at the time the documentary came out, I think no Formula One driver had died. I believe that has changed. Yes, I, unfortunately. Yeah, one, there was a... There was a race again in Japan. It always seems to happen in Japan. But there was a race in Japan... And there was a driver who had crashed. And so they had brought out 
like the big forklift tractor to pull the car off. And it was really raining really hard. And they should have, they should have red flagged the race uh, or at least put a safety car out there to really slow the drivers down. But during that yellow flag time, another driver lost control and in doing so slid off the track at the exact same spot, basically, and hit the forklift tractor, you know, that was there for the car and went right under it. And so, you know, I didn't die at the track, but had a severe brain injury, head injury and, and died several months later, but, you know, never recovered and and then died. So there, and then there was just two years ago, 2019, there was a uh, formula two, the, the feeder league for formula one. There was a, big crash at spa and a driver died in formula two, uh, two years ago. Well, I mean, any loss of life is tragic, but when you look at the ratio of deaths before Senna and after Senna, it's a clear, oh. it's clear what the impact, what, what his legacy has is Senna's, Senna has probably saved lives in formula one moving forward. Yes. I don't think there's any question of it. Again, the same thing happened a little bit after Jim Clark died, which is, as Formula One drivers have said, there's there's something to be said when drivers died before Ayrton Senna died, when drivers died before Jim Clark died, nothing against Ratzenberger. But when Ratzenberger dies, every driver can say, oh, that happens to him, but it won't happen to me. No one can say that when a Jim Clark or Ayrton Senna or a Dale Earnhardt dies, because it's like, nope. That guy's better than me. And if it can happen to him, it can happen to me. Yeah, and taking it back, the the film the film made that impact with the viewer. It showed you why it was so, why he was so impactful and why he was revered in such a way that his death would make this kind of impact, that he would be the, the kind of person to have to have made that change in death. But I want to ask you, if anything, what didn't work about this documentary? Because for me, I'll be frank. I don't have I don't have a single thing in this documentary that I can point to. But I came in with no pre existing knowledge, and I know the thing with Prost is that it 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 is not very flattering on the guy. You don't leave with a great besides seeing him as a pallbearer. You don't leave with the best. You don't feel great about him. It's one sided, and and that's where I do think it is a little bit unfair to Elaine Prost. And Elaine Prost has said so in the 10 years since. And I think he's right. Like, they don't show Ayrton Senna at one race kind of swerving at Elaine Prost that almost puts him in the wall. I mean, really put Elaine Prost in a very dangerous situation, you know, when they were teammates. They don't focus a whole lot on the falling out of, and again, there's a disagreement on this between the two of them, but they had an agreement that whoever got to the first corner first, they wouldn't. The other one wouldn't try to pass him, and Senna did, and so Prost wasn't going to pass him. But then they had a second restart because of a wreck, and then that time Prost got to the corner first, but then Senna passed him afterwards, and that kind of caused a falling out and all that. You know, there was there, there Ayrton Senna in the Elaine Prost Ayrton Senna battle was not it was not a one-sided one. I mean it was something where they both had their high points and they both had their low points. But beyond that, 
and they talk about this a little bit at the end of the movie, but that all basically seemed to dissolve the minute that Alain Prost was no longer a Formula One race car driver. Like they became, in the last six months of Senna's life, by all descriptions, they were very friendly, you know, and that, you know, there's that, I think they even have the footage in the, I've seen much, so, so much Senna stuff that maybe it's not in the movie, but I think it is where he says, Elaine, I miss you, you know. It's not in the movie. Uh, you have to go watch it on YouTube. Because you know, I went but, and watched it on YouTube after this was done. You know, but, but you, it's worth having those parts too. Like, I know it probably made for a better narrative structure. It is absolutely better for the movie to just have good guy versus bad guy. But, you know, there are no good guys. There are no bad guys. If I want to go, like, bad 70s, you know, soft rock, you know. I mean, there's only the two of them. And basically, they both did good things. And they both did things that they probably shouldn't be, you know, all that proud of. And I, that's the thing is, is like when Elaine Prost complains that the movie didn't do him well that way, that they wish it to focus more on the respect the two had for each other, it would have been, he's right. I mean, again, they already had a villain in this because Jean-Marie Balestri, the head of FIA, utterly does everything you need to check that box off. They could have given that guy a, a dirtier edit as well. Like they could have, they could have had more of him. I actually, it was probably good that they, the focus was still very much on Senna. I think if you, you tie too much into to that guy, it, yeah. it, it might yes. take away from it. Was there anything else about this one that didn't work for you or did it just hit all expectation? I, the only other thing, and, and I've got good news. I think this is somewhat happening <laughs> You know, on, on the rear watchables, they always have, could this have been, you know, they have the category, could this have been a, uh, you know, a 10-episode Netflix series? And as what I talked about, this movie is so good because it flies. I want to watch the 12-hour edit, you know? I could watch The Last like, Dance about Ayrton Senna. Yes. I If you told me, okay, yes, you've seen the two-hour version, but we did get carried away. We had so much great footage that we actually have a 42-hour version of this. I'd be like, I'm I'm here. <laughs> you know, if you want to do this for every race of his career, I'm here. And I mean, now we have Netflix has announced that they're doing a somewhat it's described, which is a little weird, as a somewhat fictionalized miniseries. But they have an eight-episode Ayrton Senna series coming in 2022, and it won't be as good. It can't be as good. But I am oh so there for that when it comes out. Oh, I yeah, I'll absolutely watch. It seems like they are leaning into to F1 con. I mean, we're getting season three of Drive to Survive. It might already be out. I know they announced no, it. No, Mar- March 19th. March 19th. I am counting the days. It is. Yeah. So we got yeah only only a few weeks. Um. JJ, this one again. This is something I have to lean on you for because for for most surprising fact about this one again, I, I like to shout out the Big Screen Sports Facebook group for suggesting some of these categories for a documentary. But I can't contribute to most surprising fact because everything, nearly everything for me was was new. I, I did not know anything. Was there something that you were surprised by in this? Something that you did not know in all your years of of Senna watching and research. Thing I'll say is, is I thought that it had the perfect ending, which was kind of a surprising ending. I didn't know how they were going to end this. 
we know that Senna is going to die, right? But if we ended on the funeral, <laughs> as great as it is, like, you don't want to end on that, right? No. Like, no. that would have been utterly. But the end with that interview with Senna when they say, so. And by the way, this whole thing is spoiling it. So, you know, I'm, you know, I hope that you've watched this. If not, you'll still enjoy it. But like that moment where it's like, where's your favorite driving? It's like, you know, when I was in go-karts and I had this veteran driver who was my teammate, that was the best. That was such there a were cool no- moment. I, I would have to go back to 78 and 79 in 1980 when I was go-kart driving as a teammate for <laughs> Fullerton named Fullerton. He was very experienced and I enjoyed very much the driving with him because he was fast, he was consistent. He was for me a very complete driver and it was pure driving, pure racing. There wasn't any politics then, right? And no money involved either. So it was real racing and I I have that as a very good memory. And it's like it ends it on this like perfect encapsulation of Ayrton Senna and how he just loved the driving and how that important that was. And it's like, yep, that's that's the perfect ending. But by the way, the craft to do that is exceptional because, I mean, that's the challenge you have here is this, how do we end this? And then they have, and by the way, there are sound cues in this movie that bring chills to, you know, up the back of my neck when I hear them, you know, because like they have that sound that they do in key moments of the movie and, you know, and they have kind of the happy music that they have. And they show that at the end after the, that quote, then like the ending credits are all these like more joyous moments from Senna's life and all and significant moments and all. And you have this great soundtrack going behind it. But Again, the sound editing, the sound of the cars is great, but also the score of this movie is something that really does add to it and has become like I could listen to the soundtrack of Senna and it would just put me in those moments, even if I'm not watching it. Well, I mean, right into the next category, the big chill. You mentioned there's a lot of chill inducing stuff in this one. Um, For me, like the big chill moment it's it's more of a haunting chill, I guess, is that interview that he gives where he's talking about, you know, he might only be at half of his life. He might have only lived at half of his life. And it's especially haunting after you've seen the documentary before. But especially, you know, you know what's coming. It is, I mean, it is, um, it gives me the chills, but it gives me a pit in my stomach to watch him say that. But it's also, it's very special to see an athlete who isn't content. Like he'd won three championships. He could have, could have retired. We mm-hmm. talked about Rush earlier. James Hunt won his championship. He won and, one and was done. Yeah, he was, he was done. Yeah. Are there any other big chill moments for you in this? Well, I mean, I'm sure that what, what are the big chill moments for you? It kind of fits with that. But like, so you have that moment where Elaine Prost is talking about how Senna's, you know, faith, his spirituality, his Christian faith makes him think that he's invincible. And you have this moment where 
Senna's saying, no, 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 I don't think I'm invincible. I know that I could die anytime I get into one of these cars. And again, the foreshadowing is just like, oh man, you know. And again, I don't know if it's a chill moment, but it's one of those moments that just you 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 can't help. I mean, especially when you know the story, but especially when you're watching, as I may have for 10, 15, you know, times in a row, you know, over the course of you know the last 10 years, you hit that moment, you just trip on it because it's like, oh man, he knows. You know, or he doesn't know, but he, you know, what's coming, I guess would be the better way to put it. Yeah, it's, um, it's very effective. Uh, every, every emotional note that they're trying to get you to in this movie, whether it's dread for Senna's fate or, um, feeling the, the intensity of his, his passion for the sport, they, he, Capadia gets you everywhere he's wanting you to go. It's just, it's so effective with, and and I think that that goes back to what you were talking about with the pacing. It's just it, it it's and it's kind of rare for a documentary to get you an emotional notes because a lot of the times yes. you're more in this like you're processing knowledge. You know, like I love the Pony Excess, but I'm never there's not like a huge big chill moment in Pony Excess. I'm like, oh, this stuff is interesting. It's cool. There there are meme moments in the last dance, but I don't know about big chill moments because I knew they were going to win all the titles. That's <laughs> yeah, true. You know, that's true. And again, but they're, you know, like, I mean, and you know, the Senna's going to win here too, but, but the other one I would say that we haven't talked about that I thought is, is they do a good job of setting out how he'd never won in Brazil. He'd never won his home race. And then he's leading his home race, but then his gearbox basically breaks and so he's trying to drive the car around in sixth gear which you should not be able to do and he wins the race and after he wins the race like he can't even get out of the car he's so spent and like you have that moment where his parents come to you know congratulate him after he's like don't touch me don't touch me please don't touch me i'm in too much pain you know that was a chill moment for me and then you have that moment which again if it wasn't real it would be too much but if him holding that trophy and he tries to raise it up and his shoulders are too spasming too much for him to do so but then he does one more time and he raises up the trophy as his Brazilian fans cheer. And it's like, yeah, that's just amazing. I don't know how I forgot to put that in moments. You're right. That, that is an incredible one. Um, the last thing and, I... And, oh, go and, ahead. And, the, and the one... And sorry, and the one last one is, is that last race they had for Claren where you have the Ron Dennis moment where he says, you know, let's remember the good moments. He says, oh, Ari was going to. That's what we're going to do. But then he brings Prost up on the podium with him you know, that last podium they have together. That was a chill moment for me too. Yeah. Uh, it's, and, and they, I mean, and they say they, they have that voiceover that lets you know, and it's just, just horrible foreshadowing. Um, the last thing I've got for you is, is kind of a what next. Um, Capadia is, I, like I said, I've seen this. I've seen Maradona. They're both excellent. I need to see the Amy Winehouse documentary. I think I've said that a hundred times in my life now. Um, Capadia, just everything touches. I am a huge fan. He did two episodes of Mindhunter, which might be my favorite TV show of the previous decade. Um, I, I gave you kind of a homework. Those Mindhunter's oh, great love, too. Yeah. Love Mindhunter. <laughs> Mindhunter. It hurts my heart that we're not getting any more Mindhunter, but is there, could you think of any, who would you like to see Capadia do a sports documentary on next? Whew. I'm trying to think who would be someone Federer? 
Serena Williams, someone like, I mean, like it'd have to be in a sport that I don't pay, like I almost kind of trust it needs to be in a sport that I don't pay a ton of attention to. I've done Senna. I need to do Maradona, but like, I, I you know, I mean, he would make Tom. He would make Tom Brady interesting. I don't find Tom Brady <laughs> particularly interesting beyond the fact that he's great, you know. But he would. It would be interesting no matter who he does if he gets the footage and all. But I, I, the answer is almost like the, actually the real challenge would be just find someone kind of run of the mill, and I'd still be because like I think he. I think that he would be capable of making it fascinating anyway, mm-hmm. you know. But he he certainly has not a a tape, but for. And, and at least in these three docs, again, I haven't seen Amy Winehouse, but the Amy Winehouse story is is very famous. It, there's something dark or there's something um, very emotionally heavy in, in these three documentary subjects. With, with Senna, it is, is how he, it is how he, he died. Um, with Winehouse and Maradona, it is more their personal struggles. Um, that I, I kind of, I, I was just trying to think of ideas. I would love to see, I, I just, I want more baseball documentaries. Um, you know, I had the two that jumped right to my mind were Josh Hamilton and Jose Fernandez, and they've been very chronicled by, I think I would love to see his take on that. Um, you know, the, the Josh Hamilton story has unfortunately taken, you know, a, a tragic turn on, on all accounts and it's not done. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. Um, I would like to see him, and this is kind of the opposite of what you said. I would like to see him do Ken Griffey Jr. because of oh, what I'll, an icon be there. the the baseball. I mean, I don't think we've had. I think Fernando Tatis Jr. is the closest we're. I I, I think he he's the first person since Griffey who might be Griffey. I, I'd be on. I would be absolutely on board for all of those. You know. Um. But okay, I'll go another way. I don't think he's nearly as interesting, but unfortunately he has a fascinating way his his life has turned out. But if he wanted to go back to Formula One and do Schumacher, Michael Schumacher also, or Lewis Hamilton, you know, down the road, I'd also be utterly interested. Schumacher was, you know, retired at the time he, re- I mean, he's kind of a fa- fascinating from the standpoint of he was, Ayrton Senna was aggressive. Michael Schumacher was more aggressive. Michael Schumacher wrecked drivers clearly to to win races. And some, one time it didn't work for him. But then, and this will why you'll never see this documentary, is this, and then after all of that, you know, after that career, after he retired the second time, he had a skiing accident and no one has seen him. He's basically been... You know, no one knows exactly his status, his health status, but the family does not talk about it. But he's basically been out of sight since that ski accident for years now. And so that would be, you know, a a very interesting story for this incredible documentarian to tell. But again, it will not be told because the family would not seemingly want yeah to you can't that. can't do that one without access um which you know why it took right. so long to to make a senate documentary um jj this was a pleasure i enjoy thank you for telling me about this documentary for 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 making sure i watch this one it is a pleasure it's one of my it is on my my mount rushmore of sports documentaries uh tell the folks again where they can follow you what they can check out soon at baseball america 
Um, you know, I'm on social media, probably, you know, JJ Cooper BA on Instagram, but much more, you know, JJ Coop 36, JJ COOP 36 at Twitter. If you have thoughts on Senna, feel free to share them with me. You know, it, it turns into a Formula One Twitter feed every now and then, uh, you know, on race weekends and all. Um, but, uh, you know, and we have baseballamerica.com. You know, we have a whole lot of stuff going up every day at Baseball America if you're interested in baseball. But if you're, if you listen to this and you just you watch the Senna documentary and you're like, well, what should I watch about Senna after that? I could probably send you, you know, tweet, you know, send a tweet to me and I will probably have a list of 10 other videos you should watch. But I would easily say if you enjoy the Senna documentary, you I, I'll, I will end it with this. I'll ask you this. You have seen the Senna Top Gear piece on YouTube. I have right? not, but it sounds like what I'll be watching tonight uh, after after an you, episode you, of the you West Wing. Utterly, you have to. I promise you, if you enjoyed Senna, it's only like 15 minutes and it's every bit as stirring. Like, I mean, Top Gear was is done by really, you know, people who are really good at the craft too. But the the Top Gear Senna tribute is exceptional as well. So you you do need to watch that. So but if you're listening to this, you watch this watch the Senna doc first, and it's on at least prime video right now. I don't know where else it may be, but Watch it, but once you do that, watch the. It's on YouTube. Watch Ayrton Senna's Top Gear. Top Gear's Ayrton Senna tribute. It is every bit on the same level of of care in how they do it. Well, that is absolutely on my agenda now. JJ, thanks so much for joining Big Screen Sports. If you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, please remember subscribe, rate, leave a review if you're on Apple Podcasts. You folks know the drill. If you're a baseball fan, check out From Phenom to the Farm, presented by Baseball America. That comes at you every other Tuesday. We'll have an episode tomorrow, uh, this coming Tuesday, talking to uh, former big leaguer Barry Enright. It's a good one. Check it out. Uh, episodes of Big Screen Sports do drop every Monday. So again, make sure you're subscribed, and we'll catch you next Monday. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.